Hello and welcome to The Reset Show, episode number 18, Understanding the Brain to Navigate Change. We are humbled and honoured to be joined today by our special guest, Hilary Scarlett. Now, although uh, she might sound like a spy from an Austin Powers movie, <laughs> Hilary is in fact an international speaker and author and a second edition of her book, Neuroscience for Organizational Change, short title, was published in 2019 and has been widely praised. A quick scan of the reviews includes words like important, brilliant, practical, stimulating, essential, excellent, rich, and useful. So <clears throat> no pressure today, Hilary. <laughs> um, seriously, though, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we're really looking forward to getting the conversation started shortly. Uh, firstly, though, of course, shout outs to my co-hosts, as always, Belinda Ganaway and Emma Bridger, and our producer, Katie Austin. For those of you that have joined us for this live recording, thank you too. And of course, to you, the viewers and listeners. That is enough for me for now. I'm going to hand over to Belinda to set the scene for today's show. Thank you. Great to be here. I know we always say this, but I'm super excited about today's show. And in fact, we've got a really lovely live audience as well joining us to share their thoughts and questions. So I know this is a really hot topic. So <clears throat> the research show, we really created the research show as an opportunity to pause and, and think, I guess, reflect. So using this strange time that's been created in the world of a pandemic to actually take a look at the different perspectives and what we can learn from them in relation to what's happening in the world of work, what's happening in the world of people at work and also organisational culture as well. So we have a different guests or guests on each week or each fortnight, I should say, and we use this to discuss and, and explore and, and, and really see what comes up. So, yeah, looking forward to today. Well, thanks, B. So as uh, B and Hillary, uh, B and Hillary, B and Justin have both said, Hillary, we are really excited, genuinely excited to ha have you on the show today because we are all, uh, I think we could say we're, we're neuroscience geeks, actually. Um, is there anything we haven't mentioned about you in our intro that we need to know about you, though? Let's let's start there. Uh, no, I think I'll do. I think that was all good. I cool. think that's fine. Yep, go for it. Awesome. Let's get stuck straight in then. So I'm going to start back at the beginning. Um, obviously, we've known each other for, for a number of years. Um, and I know you've had a very interesting kind of career path. Um, I'd love to know a little bit more about that and what was it that kind of prompted you and motivated you to get into this really exciting world of neuroscience? Yeah, thanks. No, and you say it was, it was quite a change for me. And um, well, my background was for many years, I worked in organisational change and particularly on the people side of change. And um, I guess I was kind of training around the strategy consultants as there were mergers or acquisitions or, or whatever it might be. And I was always kind of quite frustrated that why was it that those of us who were interested in the people side of change were always called in at 11th hour? You can see the strategy consultants have been there doing their good work for, for weeks or months ahead. And yeah, just felt kind of frustrated about why was it that the people side of change is often left as a bit of a last moment thing, a bit of an afterthought. Could have a discussion around that. Who knows why? Maybe it's because people, the people side of change is more complicated, people are different, people react differently in different circumstances. Um, but about, I, I, I got off and done some postgraduate psychology studies um, many years ago. And while doing those studies came across an article written by a psychiatrist 
saying we can now understand enough about the human brain to apply that to the real world and to the world of work. And that really caught my interest. I thought perhaps if we can bring a bit more science to what goes on when we're going through change, that would be really useful. So um, I went off, originally I studied virtually with neuroscientists in the States. And while I was doing my applied neuroscience studies, I think every week there was something useful and interesting that applied to work, that applied to me. And, and that just really caught my interest and I just found it interesting and useful and practical. So that's kind of, so that was where the shift came from, from then really focusing on neuroscience. Brilliant, thank you. And for anyone that, that happens to have my first book, Employee Engagement, it's a brilliant um, piece that you wrote for me all those years ago in there, which explains the neuroscience of engagement or the four enablers, which I think mm. is just fascinating. So I might send that out as a little bit of a freebie to people that are listening today. So, uh, okay. So today we're here to talk about this, this whole subject, which is huge around um, neuroscience and change. Um, and, you know, as you said, it's your specialist area. You kind of were already working in the field of, of change and then you kind of added on the kind of understanding of the science, what's happening in our brain, we go through change. I think it's fair to say, isn't it, that we've probably never been through um, a bigger year of change collectively than the last year or so. So could you just start by giving us a bit of understanding in terms of what might have been going on in our brains over the last year, just to kind of bring that to life for people, because it's super fascinating. So let's start there. Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, I think, you know, we've, we've now had change on a global scale. It's not just, a, you know, an organisational country level. It's been globally we're going through this. So so, so change on, on a massive scale. And I think, I, I guess, several things that, um, I mean, some of the things that our brains crave are, are certainty. And COVID has certainly took that away from us. I mean, this time last year, we really didn't know quite what we were dealing with. Um, how long it's going to go on for. So I think that was very difficult for people, just that lack of certainty and, and lack of control too. I mean, again, again, this time last year, you know, the virus was, was kind of out of control, still obviously is in, in some countries around the world right, right now. So, um, so I think that thing about um, lack of certainty, lack of control, very difficult for the human brain. And I think, so just recognising that. So um, that said, I think, you know, also how incredibly adaptable we are, how quickly organisations and people changed in March last year. I mean, and I think everyone deserves a big pat on the back about how quickly we adapt and change to working from home and working very different ways. Um, and I think it just shows how good as human beings we are at learning, that we're, we're good at, at, at doing that. We need to remind ourselves that how good we are at learning. And I guess the other thing that was going on perhaps March, April last year is... Is, there was a bit of novelty to it too. Our brains do like novelty. And there was something about, oh, what is this? And what is this different way of working? Which I think probably also partly explains why, you know, the lockdown this time around in, in December, January, February this year has been that bit tougher because there was no novelty to it. It was just, here we go again. It's long and it's grinding on and we still don't quite know when it's going to finish. So, so I think, you know, I think COVID really brought home how, yeah, some of the things our brains do find very difficult, say that that lack of certainty, that that lack of control. And um, and certainly in some of the sessions I've run over the last year, I think for a lot of people in them, there's just been that sort of sigh of relief. Phew, it wasn't just me that felt that way about, about the difficulty of it. That our, say our brains are brilliant things, but they're not set up to like things like uncertainty and, and, and lack of control, which COVID certainly brought. Mm, definitely definitely they all all rings true for sure and i think it's interesting when we when we first hit lockdown the first few months i think there was a little bit of um a little bit of surprise in our world that we saw 
engagement levels really increase. But I think absolutely to your point, it goes back to that novelty piece and that sense of focus and that almost kind of like that, you know, water mentality of like, right, let's roll up our sleeves, got something to get our teeth stuck into. So definitely that that really resonates. And then so if that kind of those sort of the underlying, I suppose, um concepts and ideas around what's going on in our brain as we've been through the last year how can we use this understanding to help us um better navigate change what's really going to help us to, to, to you know to get better at the change that's inevitably going to follow as we kind of continue mm. to work our way through the pandemic well i guess some things about understanding what the brain does need um to, to kind of work at its best and, and 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 to change and i say i think bringing home those two points about giving people some certainty where we can around the change process, or even if we can't give them certainty around the changes that are coming up, at least perhaps giving them certainty around the way in which we communicate in organizations, um, that our brains need that. Because if we don't have that certainty, our brains kind of get distracted, they try and fill the gap, we speculate, we gossip, and and waste huge amount of mental energy doing that. So I think it's one about being aware of that need for certainty in the brain. And, and also that, that bit about giving people some control over when change is coming up. I think that recognition of, of and it can be quite small things, but just to feel I'm not a complete victim in this process. There's some small areas where I've got some control and the change coming up make, makes a big difference to us. And I think from, from an organisational point of view, one thing I think is really important is, is giving employees a chance to... Um, to reach their own insights, to see why this is the right course of, 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 of direction, why this is the right change. You go back to the beginning of our conversation about me kind of following around the strategy consultants. And, and I guess my experience then was the strategy consultants would kind of go into darkened rooms with the leaders in the organization and, and emerge probably with, with very good thinking, but then tend to go into broadcast mode about this is what we're going to do. This is why it's good for customers. This is why it's good for stakeholders. Now, please get on with it. And then wonder why most employees are kind of dig their heels and saying, I don't really want to do it. All the insights from the world of neuroscience are about giving people a chance to, to reach their own insights about why this is the right course of direction is really important. Um, and I think one of the real learnings that uh, from, from it is that you know, giving employees a chance in the same way that leaders have done or others have done to kind of wrap their heads around about why we're doing this, to look at the various options and have that chance to go I get it. I can see why actually course A is better than A or B. It is really important. So giving people that chance to reach their own insights about change is, is important. So yeah, the, there are, I mean, the good news is there are lots of things we can do to help people through change and, and to help people feel better about the changes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that apps, again, really, really resonates. We talk a lot about autonomy. Yeah. absolutely. And, you know, giving people that autonomy is really critical because then, you know, like you say, that autonomy gives you a sense of control, doesn't it? Which yes. Need to control. So, yeah. Okay. That, that's really interesting. And something that I, I, you know, looking through some of your, um, you know, your, your, your writings, your blogs, et cetera, I know you talk a lot about the role of connection. Yeah. And it's something that we've picked up on throughout all the research show. One of the absolutely kind of golden threads that goes through pretty much everything is this need for us to connect as human beings, mm. which has been, I guess we've been connecting in quite a different way over the last 12 months. So again, what insights have you got from a neuroscience perspective about, about the, A, the role of connection, why it's important, and B, how we can use that to help manage change? Yeah, and I think, and, and, and maybe maybe it's one of the positives that has come out over the last year, is that perhaps now, you know, throughout organisations, we recognise that need for social connection. Because I, I used to think before, you know, before March last year, that somehow we got, 
it in our personal lives that, that social connection relationships are important and that on the whole, when relationships are good in life, then on the whole life is good. But I used to think in organisations, we somehow expected people to switch off that need for social connection, that we should all walk into the workplace and somehow be terribly professional and we shouldn't have that need in, in quite the same way. But we absolutely do. As you say, we're, we're deeply, deeply social creatures and, they, and relationships absolutely matter to us. Perhaps a couple of reasons why from a, from a, from a neuroscience point of view. Um, one is, um, as, you know, as, as, as mammals, we start out as babies and we wouldn't make it through our first weeks, months, years of life without somebody taking an interest in us. So babies will scream and cry when they're tired, when they're hungry, but also when they're separated from their caregiver, because babies absolutely know, is somebody interested in me? Does someone care about me? If they do, I'll be okay. If they're not, I won't be okay. And that kind of carries on throughout life, less overtly. But again, we're all constantly checking out. Is somebody interested in me? Does my manager, is my manager bothered about me? If they are, I'll be okay. So, so partly that, partly this part about, you know, our brains in many ways still think they're out on the savannah, <laughs> that they haven't really changed that much since our ancestors were there. And again, out in the savannah, if you were part of the tribe, you're much more likely to survive. You're much more likely to make it. If the tribe throws you out, that's a threat to your survival. So again, we're all constantly subconsciously checking out, do I fit in? Do I belong? If I do, I'm okay. If I'm not, I'm not okay. And also the research from psychologists that show if we feel we don't belong in some way, it has a big impact on our ability to think and perform on our memory, decision-making, all sorts of things. So there's nothing soft about social connection at all. It has a big impact on our performance at work. So I think to keep that in mind is really important. And I do think neuroscience has really helped on that. I do think there are, there are neuroscientists who, who focus in on social connection. And I think that's one of the important areas that has come out from, from the world of neuroscience. Yeah, absolutely. And no, I'm completely, uh, completely with you on, on all of that. And I said it's something we, we've talked about a lot. Um, it's one of the kind of real themes that's come out through, through the research show. Um, I also read somewhere that you, you talked about you're on a mission to help people understand more about, um, more about their brains, to help us be more productive, to lead happier, better lives. Um, what, what do you think is... I mean, it's obviously, this is a huge area, but what do you think are the most useful elements for people to know to help them to do that? What are your golden nuggets? Um, yeah, and, and, and as you say, I, I do feel on a, on, a, on a bit of a mission. And in many ways, I don't feel I've, you know, despite my many years of working, never really felt that kind of same sense of mission that I, I kind of feel with the neuroscience. Because I do say on a personal level, I found it so useful to understand what's going on for me. Um, you know, moments of stress or anxiety or whatever it might be, just go, oh, that's why that's happened. I just find that incredibly helpful, just that kind of. So partly it is, I think, about having that 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 awareness, self-awareness. It gives us it gives us that and just be able to. And in a way, I think it gives us more empathy for ourselves because you kind of say, you know, our brains are brilliant things. But say there's certain things they need that have taken away from us, you know, things like certainty we've talked about or lack of control that do throw our brains into a kind of defensive, distracted place. And being aware of that is, I think, is really important. So just that, that self-awareness alone is a great start, I think, to understanding our, our, our brains better. And then building on that, I think, you know, once we do understand them a little bit better, in some ways we've got more control over them than we probably realise um, that um, we can, most of us, in a sense, we can choose to set our filter, so to speak. We can choose to be glass half full or glass half empty. 
Um, and so it becomes a choice for us. And, you know, and there's lots of research that shows just little things can begin to shift how we view the world or, or ourselves or whatever. So glass half full, you know, just each day thinking about three good things that have happened to us or whatever it might be, just choosing. And the research is the more we look for the good stuff that's, that's happening, the more we see the good stuff that's other good stuff that's happening. So in that sense, we have got more control. And, you know, from a brain point of view, the things we focus on, the things we practice, we get better at. So if we get better at learning to stay calm, if we practice staying calm, we get better at doing it. On the other hand, if we are stressy a lot of the time, we get better at being stressed out. So I do think understanding our brains um, gives us that knowledge and gives us that ability to have, a, again, say a bit more control over how we choose to view the world for most of us. Yeah, and absolutely with you in the... As you know, at People Lab, we're, we're huge fans of, of the neuroscience side of things, and we use it a lot. And one of the things I, I love about the science is when we're working with clients and we're talking about things like gratitude, for example, that can yeah. seem a little bit fluffy. And when you explain what's happening in the brain, we're going to, I won't go to it now, but we'll send it out as a, as, a, as, a, as a handout, you know, what's actually going on in the brain, how you're actually kind of priming your spam filter to notice certain things and you can train your brain. People kind of get it. And it's just really powerful way I think of making the case the, the kind of work we do so I'm, I'm completely with, with you on all of that um just I'm gonna ask one more question before I'm gonna pass it out because I know there's lots of people have loads of questions but looking forward we're moving into this kind of really gray area that's been labeled hybrid working uh, I think we should again be another really interesting experience yeah. to see how, how this works what are your thoughts on that approaching this from a kind of a neuroscience perspective what do we need to think about to get hybrid working to work well yeah it's, it's a really interesting question i think it's a i think it's an area a lot of organizations are grappling with at the moment and um and i think it's yeah and, and the ones that are grappling with it i think good i think there are some organizations i kind of hear on the grapevine are just kind of going into it not thinking that much about it but i do think we need to think about it and plan it consciously because i think it's a great opportunity for many. I think many people for a long time have wanted to work more flexibly, uh, to be able to work from home and hurrah, this gives us an opportunity to, to do that. We've proved that we, we can do that. But I think, um, I think organizations do need to think about it carefully and consciously um, because I can see all sorts of issues that could come up. One big one I think for me is going to be about fairness. Um, about some people have to go into the workplace five days a week or whatever, no, no question about it. Other people now might have the choice to go in maybe just three days a week or, or whatever. So I think we've got to be aware of, of, of does it feel fair to people and how do we explain the decisions we're making? Because fairness is really important to the human brain, that, that sense I've, I've got as good a deal as, as, as other people. So I think that bit about, about thinking that through about what, what is fair to employees understand why we're making decisions where we, we are is important. And, and we also know from historic research that we tend to, um, we tend to favor the people we see more often. Uh, there's research that shows those people who are in the workplace who are more visible tend to get bigger bonuses, tend to get promoted. So what are we going to do if one person says, actually, do you know what? I'll work in the office five days a week. So I want to be visible. I want to have those chance conversations with the chief exec. And other people say, oh, oh, but I don't want to do that. How do we handle that? We've got to think those, those, those things through and make sure we are being as fair to the people who, the people who work at home or equally the people who are traveling in saying, I don't want to be on public transport right now. Um, 
also fairness in terms of, you know, I think a lot of the younger things, 20 somethings want to be back in the workplace. They're social, we're, we're very particularly sociable creatures at that age. Whereas I think some of the older 40 somethings have got nice homes, think actually I'd rather be at home. Mm-hmm. But equally the 20 somethings have got to learn from the 40 somethings, more experienced people. So, mm-hmm. so I think there's all sorts of things around that we've got to, we've got to navigate. Going back to the point about, you know, about sociable creatures that we do very quickly um, the good news is we very quickly form in groups, people we feel connected to. The bad news is we very quickly form out groups really quickly, even people we've known a long time. Mm-hmm. And so, again, how do we handle that? How do we make sure we aren't getting certain cliques I, that, that, you know, that see each other regularly and don't see other people regularly? Because we process thoughts about um, people whom we see regularly differently from from thoughts of people that, that who we don't see so regularly and and even their suggestions of things they say we treat differently we're much more positive towards things that people from our from our, our, our in group so thinking about that and I think particularly for managers I think they're going to you know I think we really need to support them because I think managers are going to have to balance all this people working from home people working in the office I think each manager has to kind of make sure they're seeing all members of the team equal amounts of time so making sure they're not just going the same days as certain people members of the team because otherwise again bonds will form between certain people so so I think I think it's a really exciting opportunity but I think there's a lot to think through so in terms of fairness in terms of social connection um you know autonomy that whole letting go if people are working from home clarity about if, if people are from home what's expected what's not so I think it's a great opportunity but I think there's a lot organizations need to to think through um, over the coming months and on an ongoing basis, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. It's going to be a really interesting few years to see how this how this kind of manifests and, and rolls out. So, okay, I feel like I, I've, I've hogged the questions long enough. So I'm going to move over to, to Belinda, first of all, if I can be. I'm sure you've got loads of questions for Hilary. So I'm going to hand over to you. What have you got? Thank you so much. Yeah, I've written down loads of questions and I keep asterisking and then just to prioritise which ones to pass by you, Hilary. I think something I was listening to this morning that I found really interesting is this idea of, and I won't have the language right here, it's almost like the social exhaustion that we're going to experience as we go back into the world. We sort of touched upon it briefly earlier, you know, who's run any training face-to-face so far, you know, who's run a workshop face-to-face. And this idea that our brains have almost retrained to, to be able to cope in in very small but fixed groups rather than in bigger moving groups. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are around that and what we need to be aware of and how maybe we need to be kind to ourselves and to other people Mm. who do go back into that sort of social world of, of, of bigger groups. Yeah, and no, I think I think that's a, a, a really interesting question. And I, th- and I guess um, you know, I think one of the things is, is about um, yes, yeah, you know, over the last year we've almost become afraid of other people, haven't we? The two meters distance saying they've always been in the supermarket mm. or wherever, which is quite a weird thing for human beings, say being such social creatures. But we've all we've almost become afraid of other people in a sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, that will go again. We'll we'll learn to adapt again. But I think just to be aware of that, it's 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 that's quite hard for us. Also, I think when we went from the workplace to working at home, we knew that was slightly weird and different. And your brain kind of goes, I know I'm going to feel this weird weird and different. But going back into the workplace, I think we'll feel, well, I should be able to adapt to this because this is what I did just 15 months ago. But actually, it will be it will be hard. It will be difficult. And I think, again, not if we're finding it a bit disconcerting, I think some people say they are quite anxious about it. I think, again, just to be aware, of course, you know, we've spent 
14 months saying stay away from people and now we're saying go back into room room with them um so i think again just just being aware of that is going to be is is, is important and and our brains will adapt they do they adapt incredibly quickly we'll we'll get used to it again but i think just say, giving ourselves a break and saying if you find that tough initially mm. um that's our, you know, it, it's not mm. surprising given what we've, we've had to learn to do over the last 14 months or so. Mm. Thank you. Yes, yeah, so interesting. I'm going to sneak in another one before somebody tells me I can't. <laughs> I know that there will be questions in the chat, so we will come to those um, briefly. This is a bit cruel because I've sort of slightly switched the question that I wanted. So I know that you did two versions of your book. And um, obviously, what's so fascinating about Euroscience is that we learn so much more in, in really short spaces of time. So my initial question was going to be about what changed? What did you learn between those two editions? But I wanted to tag on an extra question about about what, if any, neuroscience work is being done in this point to look at the impact of lockdowns and so on on our brains? Or do we know enough already that we can just apply what we know from similar research? Um, probably a bit of both. I, th I think, you know, in, in terms of um, the brain and, and knowing how it will react to things like isolation or uh, yeah, not seeing people, those, those, those kind of things. I mean, there is research being being done, I think, looking at the impact of, of, of um, lockdown on people, but it's perhaps too soon to see that. Um, and so our brains are constantly changing anyway. It's a thing called neuroplasticity, where our brains learn and change. It is a constant thing. I mean, all our brains are going to be doing during this hour together because the questions we're asking or answering or whatever. So our brains are constantly changing and, and adapting anyway. So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so, so there is research, I think there is research being done, but I think we know quite a lot about, yeah, I mean, neuroscience is still in its infancy, still a lot we don't know, but I think we know quite a lot about the impact of, of so, yeah, social isolation and, and um, yeah, and say the impact of something that's been so un uncontrollable. I think we do know the mm. impact of those kind of things and the impact it will have on our brain, our ability to think and be creative and those, those kind of things. Um, mm. um, but to go to your other question about, I guess, the, 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 the difference between the two books, the two editions, I mean, because in some ways there's lots coming out from the world of neuroscience. But on the other hand, some of the fundamentals are pretty well established. So, so in some ways you could say, yes, there's lots that's new, but another more fundamental level, things don't change that fast necessarily. Mm -hmm. And actually, you know, one of the slightly frustrating things from the first edition to the second edition was actually more about the, the replication crisis in the world of psychology and, and to a certain extent in neuroscience too. There's a lot of quite famous studies out there that we thought were tried and trusted. But as other people come along and try to replicate them, they've said, actually, I can't get that same result or not to the same extent. Mm -hmm. So actually, the second edition, in some cases, I had to say, mm, maybe we're not quite so sure about this bit now. And, you know, the research is still ongoing, so we don't yet have, 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 have an answer. So partly that and partly what I did in the second edition was I, um, I added a couple of chapters to it, bits that I, that I hadn't put in the first, because in a lot of my sessions I run... Um, sessions about how can we plan the working day with our brain in mind, kind of how much mental energy we have, what depletes it, what restores it. And I used to do that in my face, I do that in my face-to-face -face sessions. So I put a chapter in about that into, into, into the, to the book. And the other one was about behavior change too, about how do we change our behavior on a kind of personal level? Um, mm. Because although our brains are lazy and like habits and kind of 
constantly got to keep pinching ourselves because our brains will want to keep doing things in the same old way. Yeah. Um, we again, we absolutely can change and, and we can learn new behaviors, we can do it. But again, how do we set up our brain to do that? So that was the other new, new, new chapter in the book. Brilliant. Thank you. I love that. I love that positivity message in terms of, you know, just because you've always done it and thought this way doesn't mean you always will. And our idea to retrain our brain, I thought was such a, a lovely positive message and so useful as we come out of lockdown. Yeah. And, and actually more positive from that, that, you know, we can learn and not only can we learn, but it, it's, it's really good for the brain too. If we're having to learn new ways of doing things and if we're finding things difficult with well, the message from the world in your well, good, because yeah. learning difficult things challenge your brain is actually good for the brain. It's cognitively protective. And there are these people who they kind of called super ages, the people who are in their 80s and 90s and still got really sharp brains. And I think one of those things those people have done is kept their brains sharp. They've kept learning new things. Mm. So I think a message for all of us is, is get out there, keep learning new things. It's actually good for your brain. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I've got so many more questions, but um, I'm going to pass over to Justin, who's probably got an eye on the chat. who will be sharing some of the questions from our audience as well. I do. I do. Thank you, Belinda. I also have an eye on, I know what you did there. That was three questions for the price of one. <laughs> you're, like, you're like one of those journalists on the Downing Street briefing. <laughs> you ask three questions. Always, it, it didn't annoy me when you did it, but it really annoys me when they do it. I'm like, one question at a time. Um, uh, I'm being slightly facetious, but you. Um, yes, we do have some questions in the chat. So I'm going to put my questions aside for the moment and uh, we'll come back to those if I get a chance. Um, a couple of questions here, one from Louise, and this is a familiar theme, Hilary, that comes up in uh, pretty much all of our, uh, all of the reset shows, which is uh, someone will say, uh, so the question is from Louise is how open in your experience are organizations to understanding and applying neuroscience? Um, I would say very much so. Clearly, the organisations I work with are the ones that are open to it. So I guess there's a, there's a bias in, in that sense. But I think they're really open to it. I think um, probably several reasons why. I think, you know, all of us have got a brain. I think we're all interested about how do I understand it better? How do I get more out of it? You know, who doesn't want to, to understand more, more about that? So I think there's partly that. I think partly um, the language of neuroscience really works well with a lot of, 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 of leaders. The very first session I did using neuroscience was after the banking crisis and um, it was with a bank. And uh, you know, I talked about a lot of normal things I would talk about, but, but put, talked about them through the lens of neuroscience. And I said, as these bankers were kind of sitting up and paying attention away, they probably wouldn't have done if I was just talking about communications or, or, or whatever. And in fact, one of them turned to me at one point. He said, he said, he said, I love this stuff. It's not the it's not the usual psycho fluff I get from you people. This is science. And 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 but and it can be there's a point the language of science I think is really persuasive um, with the most skeptical or cynical of leaders. Because in a way, you know, it takes away what might be a matter of opinion about what helps people perform or because we, we've got enough knowledge now to know, you know there are certain things we know the brain needs to perform or thrive or whatever. And certain things we know gets in the way. So I think it's 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 really useful. Also, I think, you know, intellectually, it, it appeals to a lot of leaders, too, because it's, it, it's quite new. It's quite intellectually challenging, I think, for some of them. 
um, but also very practical. That's the other lovely thing about it is, is small things you can go away and do. So, so I find them very open to it. I find a lot of leaders really interested in it. I find it reaches lots of leaders that possibly otherwise you wouldn't reach. I, for example, I did a work with um, a whole of people who worked in technology. And again, talking about, and it was all about you know, being leaders in technology. And, and I think, you know, the, again, the language of science really appealed to them. As people who are in technology, bringing that language of science really reached them and, 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 and intrigued them. So I think it works really well. Um, um, yeah, and, and I just think it's because it's so helpful for all of us on all sorts of levels. Oh, thank you. And that's encouraging news, isn't it? I, I, I particularly liked what you were saying about, um, uh, you know, the scepticism, which certain types of leaders will have. Mm. And it's like, well, you've done that for them. <laughs> the sci- I mean, that's what the science has done, hasn't it? It's been through that process. So yeah. uh, in some ways, like you say, it's not really opinion. Um, Yes. And, and in a way, you can say to them, look, here's what we now know about the brain. You can choose to ignore it if you want to. But if you want to be a good leader and get the best out of your people and their, you know, in terms of their mental well-being, their ability to perform all those things, then isn't it better to work with this knowledge yeah. and understand the brain and its limits and what it needs? It's, it, it, so in a sense, it's a choice for them. I don't say you must do it. You know, I think, again, choice is really important. So it's about putting the information in front of them. Also make it really practical because I think really part of the beauty of neuroscience is, is small things, little things can mm. make a big difference to our brains. So there's the element of science, but also practical and very um, easy to implement, I think. Mm, mm. I've been, I've been um, listening to some, uh, some uh, reading some interesting research about uh, the process of learning being not necessarily to do with absorbing data, but, that, but this whole idea of learning through thinking and I'm wondering if the same applies to uh, to leaders because they go through that process of thinking about this stuff. It's not necessarily that they even need to see a methodology put in practice with and see the quantifiable results. Just by thinking about the concepts you're you're referring to as they are part and parcel of their own operating system. In a way, that does does that help as well? Yeah, and, and, and certainly, I mean, there's a lot from the world of neuroscience about, about learning, too, about how, how we learn, what helps us learn. And, and one of the points from that would be about giving people a chance to, um, yeah, absolutely to reflect on what they've heard, think, how does that apply to me? You know, as I say to people during my sessions, learning isn't done when I'm talking at them. It, it's the bits in between where I stop and pause and give them a chance to think, what does that mean to me? What's useful? How can I apply that? that's when the real learning is, is, is done. So it's giving them a chance to, yeah, think about what do I take from this? And also say to them, don't try and do too much. You know, don't, don't overwhelm your brain and put it into a stressed out place. Even just if you just do one small thing, but do it immediately, get on with it. There's a certain momentum the brain needs. Even if you do one small thing differently tomorrow with your team or, or whatever, but just get on, on and do it. That's, that's the important thing. I've got, I've got, thank you for that, uh, Ellery. I'm going to, uh, Simon, forgive me, I'm going to skip your question and come back to it because um, Marianne's question is directly following on from this, which is what does the latest neuroscience say uh, about how many days it needs to adopt a new habit? It, it was 20 uh, days, 67. <laughs> and so what's, what's the latest? <laughs> it depends. I'm afraid it depends on the habit. It depends on what you're trying to change, ah. how much you want. So, it, 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 so there are these kind of rules of thumb out there of 60 days or, or whatever. But it really does depend on what, what you're trying to change and, and, and how much. So 
the message from neuroscience around changing behavior is um, whatever that thing is, try and do it frequently. Say, let's get on with it. Do it frequently. So better to do that one thing, whatever it might be, one press up or whatever it might be each day than skip four or five days and then suddenly do 20 press ups. So better just keep keep going with it. I think from a brain point of view, um, so we're absolutely capable of learning new behaviors, new ways of doing things. One thing that's very hard for the brain is just to stop doing something. So it's better to replace it with a new behavior. It's very hard just to stop something. So better to replace it with something. And also to be aware that um, it's very hard for the brain to lose that old behavior. And sometimes it's why when we're stressed or tired, we'll go back to the old behavior because it's very hard for the brain actually to remove old behaviors that, that, have, that have, mm. uh, have been there. So we shouldn't be surprised when we're tired, we go back to an old way of doing it because the brain has still got that old kind of way of doing it. But yeah, but to changing behavior, yeah, it depends what it is, how much we want to do it, those kinds of things, yeah. That's a great answer, yeah. Um, and, and really, really helpful actually as well. And, and helpful reminder about the important thing being the frequency. Absolutely, that's the key thing, yeah. Yeah, um, I'm gonna skip back to Simon um, just to, as he asked a question earlier, and this is, so back to what we were talking about, about the return to the workplace. Um, it's going to be also, that you know, people are gonna be experiencing all kinds of emotional changes mm. um, over the course of the time and facing back so familiar faces will have gone, um, be lots of new faces, people only know online. And we have this extraordinary phenomenon yeah. where leaders have been working with a team and they've never met them face to face. And so Simon's interested in knowing what can employers do in terms of helping prevent the office feeling like a, a strange alienating place for, for those returning workers. Yeah, and I, I guess it's sort of... Um... You know, I, I think, again, helping people to acknowledge and recognise that, that it, it is going to feel a bit weird and a bit odd, I think, is important, too. That say, because we're going back to a familiar workplace, we might think it should feel OK, but it won't. It will feel different. I mean, the layout might be very different. As you say, we might not see the people we used to see. We might love new, new faces. So I think there's one about preparing that ourselves that mentally kind of kind of preparing for that mm. I think too I think for me it's about how much can you involve people how can you especially in the like return to the office I think there's real opportunities there to to to, to involve employees and in how they want to do that um, you know what what you know how do they want to do that Give, giving them some choice and control over that so and so involving employees having discussion with them about how do we want to do this I think is is, is going to be really important and keeping that conversation going, I think, because I think I was having a discussion with Jess about this and, and, you know, what people might try to start suppressing emotions about, actually, I'm finding this really difficult. I'm not, you know, again, for the world of neuroscience, all the recommendations keep people talking about their emotions, not wallowing in them, but actually be able to speak about negative emotions is a useful thing to do. I say, I'm really worried about this is actually useful in terms of reducing that um, feeling, um, both in terms of a feeling and at a neural level too. So allowing people to talk about it, I think, get, allowing people having frequent get-togethers about how are, what are we experiencing and what can we do about it? So I think having frequent conversations with the team, and that's gonna have to be ongoing because okay, there'll be, you know, maybe June people will go back, but September, October, January, you know, mm. as we as long as we get longer and longer into the hybrid working to keep that conversation going with people, mm. I think will be really important. Mm. So you know, it comes back to communication as so many things do, I think. And it, that feels to me to be a bit of a challenge for lots of leaders because they tend to think, you know, the conversations they need to have are about fixing things and doing things and yeah. 
And actually, this is much more about listening, isn't it? And uh, yeah, yeah, and and but and again, from the world of neuroscience, uh, you know, feeling really listened to is very rewarding to our brains. Our brains like it. Being asked a question is very rewarding to the brain. So I think for managers to remember, just asking questions, listening well. Yeah, I guess for them to feel they haven't got all the answers because they won't. But again, just to, just it's an opportunity to explore together with the team. Well, how do we handle this? What are we finding difficult? Are there things we can change? Mm -hmm. That's a really useful discussion. So, yeah, again, I think it's why managers are going to need lots of support through this to have the confidence to have those conversations to let people open up about what they're finding works or doesn't work, how they're feeling about it. Um, can be daunting if you feel like I haven't got all the answers to all of that. Um, yeah. can, can be a tricky place to be. So that's why I think, yeah, managers in particular are going to need a lot of support over the coming months. Um, I have just one quick question to add to that, and then I've got a question from Laura, and then I'll pass back to you, Emma. I'm just really interested in that. Uh, why is it that questioning and listening are so rewarding to the brain? I think it's partly because, because um, that, that someone taking an interest in us is, is, is a lovely thing. It makes me, me feel, I, you know, I, I, I am significant. Someone cares about me. So it, it, it's that kind of, so it's, it's that social connection again that people are, are taking into. And there's, there's some interesting research even about people would rather talk about themselves than accept money even. I think because we love talking about ourselves so much. So it's, yeah. And I guess someone asking you a question, it's a sign of interest in you is a sign of respect for you in a way and, and that bit about self-esteem and matters to us that people that, that people are interested in what we have to say so I guess it's asked a question and listen well to the answer yes. to <laughs> would be the follow-up to that really important as well yeah you know, being because being listened to when someone kind of plays back on what I hear you saying is it's lovely I mean I think when we've all been through that having people do that for, it, it, it's a great experience someone really listening to me really being really being heard so it yeah. is. It is. And we can all do that for each other. Yeah. That's yeah. the easy one we can do. I'm hoping you're enjoying being listened to. Um, <laughs> it's, lo it's lovely. It's <laughs> lovely. <laughs> um, Absolutely. And this might lead into the, the question from Laura, which was um, how do you suggest using neuroscience to develop future leaders? Yeah, well, I do a lot of that, actually. It's interesting you ask that because I, th I think um, a lot of my work is around where, as people are stepping up to being leaders of, of, of people more because I think for a lot of organisations, again, that sense of if leaders can understand their own brain, other people's brains a bit better, they can work with that knowledge to be to be better leaders. So I am a big believer it's really important. And, and actually one organisation I was working with on their leadership development programme, my session came quite late in the session, in the, in the series and actually after that I said let's put it at the very start because because all the managers were saying actually gosh if only we'd had the neuroscience at the very start it kind of makes sense of everything else and to have that fundamental about about the brain so so with a lot of organizations I'm now kind of the first part of that leadership development program um, because it just it just gives the foundations for everything else it helps make sense of so many things I think um, and it can be about you know, being a better leader, bring the best out of other people. How do you work to bring the best out of other people? But also so much, again, about self-awareness as, as a leader. What's going on for me? You know, what might my brain be doing? And, and you know, I think one important message from Neuroscience is that we all see the world differently. We all filter differently. So there's a real message to these about stay humble. How you see the world is not how the world is. It's just how your brain filters it because of your past experience, your current circumstances, all influence what we take in so there's that real message as a leader 
yeah, stay humble. How you see it is not reality. It's, it's how your brain is filtering the world on your behalf. So there's lots yeah. of useful things. That's always quite an astonishing revelation for people, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. People see things differently from me. Gosh, how can that be? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, lovely. Thank you so much. Uh, and also, as you said, get, get in there early. So yeah. hopefully that's encouraging for, for Laura. Um, Hilary, a, a little bit like a, 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 a rugby ball. I'm going to pass you back over to uh, to Emma. Thank you. Thank you so much. Over to you, Em. Yeah, I think we're pretty much at time, you know, which is which is gutting because I think we could have carried on talking for another few hours at least, Hilary. So I'll have to get you back on if that's OK <laughs> when you've got the time. Um so we are we are pretty much at time and right. we, we could we could talk all day I've got so many more questions but just want to say a huge thank you to you for coming on really appreciate it and um just absolutely fascinated by the world of neuroscience and I know a lot of our listeners and followers are as well and you give us some really great practical advice today which we can take away you straight away which is what we're all about so huge thank you to you for coming on um and hopefully at some point we'll be able to persuade you to, to come back on again and carry on the conversation then um so just i'm going to pass over to you just to sort of do the final piece and then we can uh, sign off for the day so back to you justin thank you yes yeah, so so from us all uh the myself and emma and belinda and katie as well as the guests and as well as the future listeners and viewers thank you again hillary what a what a rich inspiring conversation and like all great conversations leaves us wanting to know more so thank you so much no not at all pleasure thank, thanks thanks for inviting me well it's wonderful to have you um and uh for those of you that are listening and watching after the event we would encourage you to tell your friends um share and spread the word spread the love um, next time, coming up on the Reset Show, it's the 19th of May, and we will be joined by employee comms and engagement specialist and founder of the Blue Ballroom, Sheila Parry. And Sheila Parry will be talking with us about how to build success through your people and also her book, Take Pride. So we are very much looking forward to the next episode. In the meantime... Thank you all. Go well and uh, good luck with navigating that change. Hopefully you're better equipped to deal with it than you were an hour ago. Thanks very much, folks. That's all for now. Thanks. Bye. Bye now.